If you know me pretty well, you know that some of my greatest heroes are my grandparents. And uh, I have a grandfather that owned a tree farm. And I can remember that on his death, because I was the oldest grandson and also a young pastor at the time, that they asked me to do the family eulogy. But I wanted it to do more than just represent me. I wanted it to represent all my first cousins, all 16 of us. So we sat in Grandpa and Grandma's living room, just like we had when we were little kids, this little 12 by 12 room. You know, when we were only three feet tall, there was a lot of space for us, but most of us were much bigger than that. And I had everybody go around the room and say, what was the most important thing about Grandpa? And I had a cousin named Gary, and Gary said this. He said, whenever Grandpa saw me, my whole growing up, he'd look at me and he'd raise one finger in the air. And we all, none of us had known this. And then he started to just kind of quietly say, because Grandpa wanted me to always know that he was number one and that I was his number one with him. You know, I hope that in our quietest moments with God that we can raise one finger like my grandpa did and say to the God of heaven, you are my number one. You are my first priority. You are the, the one I seek. You're the default of my life. And yet I know, honestly, that's not easy. Because in this life, there are all kinds of different things that can be number one. I'm, most of us have pared down and we're living a lot simpler than we were a couple months ago. And some of the things that seemed as number one priorities pre-COVID really don't seem to matter very much during COVID, do they? It has shifted our priorities. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, the reason He came to the earth was to speak to people and shift their priorities to the priorities that God had for them. And the Sermon on the Mount is this example of Jesus Christ all of a sudden saying, wait, wait, you've heard the priorities and, and you've even heard the religious priorities of your day, but I want to shift the priorities of this moment. So when we take a look at the Sermon on the Mount today and we take a look at the red letters that are a part of today, this is the thing that I want you to understand. That Jesus Christ now is in the midst of sharing this idea of what are God's priorities for us. At the end of the passage we're taking a look at, in chapter 6, verse 33, he says this, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds... Whoops, that's the wrong one. Let me go just a little further. There we go. It's this one right here. Um, and for some reason, it's not doing what I want. There we go. He says this, But seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all of these things will be added onto you. The idea of what he's going to be talking about in this part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about today is he's going to be talking about what are the priorities of righteousness. How can we look God in the eye when we come into the room of his life and we can have this sense that we are number one with him? You know, when I was a little kid, my grandfather was running a business out of his home, out of the yard there. But whenever I as a grandchild came into the room, it didn't matter what doctor he was talking to, what important client he was meeting with, he would excuse himself and he would come and see me. And he would greet me and then he'd say something like this. You see this man over here? He's kind of I need to talk to him for a little bit. But then we'll talk some more. Okay, Jimmy? But there was no doubt in my mind that I was my grandfather's report, priority. As we take a look at the passage today, I think we have to take a look at the patterns and the thinking and what's going on in our lives. And we've got to ask this question. Is God really my priority? Am I making the things of the kingdom the priorities of my life? So, let's get into the passage. He starts in chapter 6, verse 19, and he says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We have to ask ourselves, one of the questions about making God a priority is this question. What are we investing in? With the resources and treasures of our lives, what are we investing in? Are we investing in things that in reality will break down? You know, I'm sitting out here and I'm looking at a couple of our, our members, our ministry team that are, are, are here in the sanctuary today. And many of you are contractors. And a part of the reason that you can do your job is because things break down. People need a new roof, don't they? They can't just buy a house and have a roof forever. Eventually, they need a new kitchen and, and they want to upgrade the bathrooms and all of those kinds of things. Why are those things true? Because if we invest in things of this earth, it always breaks down. I have a, 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 19, a 2003 Subaru Outback. I love it. But over every one of the wheel wells, there's rust. Why? Because it's breaking down. Every year, I buy another pair of Merrells to replace the ones that I was wearing last year. Why? Because they don't last forever, and eventually they're no longer waterproof, and they break down. If you're a man, the reason you update your wardrobe isn't because you want to be more stylish. It's because you wore it out. It breaks down, and you need a new shirt, or you need a new pair of pants. That's the reality of life. 
And he's saying that you need to be careful in what you invest in. Are you investing in things of this world? Or are you investing in eternal things? And he asks us an interesting question. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've heard people quote this the other direction, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. No. You need to take a look at what you're treasuring, and that's where your heart is. What do you like to talk about? When you open up your checkbook, what does it show that you treasure? When you take a look at, at how you spend your day, what does it say about what you, what you treasure? When you're in conversations with other people, what do you talk about? That's what you treasure. That's telling us where your heart is. And God is saying that we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make to either invest eternally or invest earthly in this world. One of the things when my grandpa Koenig died that really I was blown away by is my grandfather Koenig, when we read his will, the first section of the will was about the tithe of his inheritance that he was giving to the Lord. You see, tithing wasn't a part of just his life experience. It was about what he treasured. And it spoke of the organizations and the things that he wanted to continue to invest in eternally, even in his passing. I think that we have to ask that question. I think you have to ask that question every once in a while, saying, okay, when I take a look at my life right now, what do I treasure? What do I talk about all the time? What is the thing that upsets me? You know, my father loves his cars. He absolutely loves them. I can remember that after one of the hurricanes, there were these horrible rubble piles everywhere, and Dad was visiting, and there was this car coming, and so I had to move over just a little bit, and a branch from the rubble pile was scraping up against the side of my car as we drove by, and my father, I, it was like you had, you had punched him in the face or you'd, you'd pierced him with a sword. Because he loves to take care of cars. I don't think they're his treasure, but they're important to him. And so the, the first thing that we have to say, and we've got to ask is, what do I treasure? Because that's where my heart is. He goes on and says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now I know when I read this passage, I'm like, okay, now I can preach a different sermon on this because it's a different thought. It doesn't seem to fit in with what he was saying before. But once again, there's a choice in the A or B here, isn't there? Are we filled with light or are we filled with darkness? If you go back to what we discussed last week, we were talking about Christ's prayer. And a part of Christ's prayer was what? That we would ask for forgiveness and that we would offer forgiveness. You see, the reality is, is if, if our lives are filled with sin, darkness, then we're not going to see God's priorities 
You know, I've, I've always had some, when I've worked with teenagers for years, and one of their big questions is, is what is God's will for my life? And I think they were always afraid that it had to be this singular thing that they did. And if all of a sudden they would choose one of the things, they'd end up on this off-ramp where they couldn't get back on to God's will. God's will for our lives is simply to obey Him. And as we walk in the light, we will have all kinds of choices and none of them will be wrong. They're all light choices. There's no gray area. And so what he's saying here is, first of all, you'll you'll know what to invest in. And the second thing that you'll be able to do is you'll be able to see clearly. If you're asking the question, what is God's will for my life? I think maybe our first response should be, can you see clearly right now? Can you see the thing that God wants for you? Or are you so caught up in the rebellion and the selfishness of sin that you can't even be aware of what maybe God wants at all? Is there some other emotion? Is there some other experience? Remember? And he's already taken us through so much of this on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about our heart and what should be going on in our heart. He's talked about our relationships and how we should love. He's talked about our prejudices. He's talked to all these things. And now he's saying that if you want to make the kingdom a priority, you have to see clearly. Nancy, this week, um, we had to travel to Plattsburgh. And she says, please buy me new windshield wipers. And as I was taking off the old windshield wipers, you know that little part that's supposed to go back and forth and make everything wonderful? It didn't even exist. And Nancy wants to drive well. And to drive well, you have to see well. We can't live out God's priorities if we can't see. And if, and if there is a pattern of sin somehow in your life, that darkness is the darkest. That's why he said what he said there. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Think of what's going on in our world today. Think about what's going on in our country today. Think of how dark some of it is. Why? Because there's no error. And so their choices and their thinking are incredibly dark. He goes on in the next point and says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Probably a better word at the end of this Uh, The original, if you have the old King James with you, it says you cannot serve God and manna. But the idea here is you can't serve wealth and God. it's, It's impossible. You can use your wealth to invest in the kingdom, but you can't serve God and wealth at the same time. Remember what Jesus said in another passage? He said it's easier for... Um, a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because of his priorities. Now, I want to just, I'm going to step on a soapbox for just a second and tell you something here. God God doesn't speak against wealthy people. And he doesn't say wealth is bad. 
unlike other things in our society that do, and even Christians is sometimes saying, he's saying what you do with wealth. Is it your master? And we have to ask that question. What is our master of our lives? What do we follow? What do we find ourselves saying yes to so easily? Because if we're going to have kingdom priorities, the Lord has got to be our master. That's why our, our motto here, our fifth core value is to trust God more and surrender over and over again to His Lordship in our lives. Every once in a while we realize we're off a little bit, don't we? And the GPS of our soul says it's time to recalculate. Because the reality is is that we've forgotten who the Master is. So the priority first is we have to invest in eternity. Second of all, we have to see clearly. The third thing we have to do is we have to follow the Master. And if you want to understand following the Master, this is important. Because in John, what did he say? My sheep know my voice. He is our shepherd and our Master. We should know His voice. The next thing about this that I think is kind of interesting is he goes into something, and when he goes into this, I'll I'll pull it out a little bit. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Now, it's interesting that he realizes that one of the things that fights against living a, a life of priority is anxiety. Okay? It's hard to imagine, but in the United States right now, there are people that have food anxiety. They really have no idea where their next meal is going to come from. The only anxiety, I have pantry anxiety, but I don't have food anxiety. I look in the pantry and I don't see anything I want to eat. That's my anxiety. But there are some people that open the pantry and aren't sure what they're going to eat at all. This was a real issue back in the time of Jesus. Food anxiety was a real issue. Clothing anxiety was a real issue. It's hard for you to us to imagine this because we all have this closet full of clothes that maybe we'll wear someday when we lose some weight, you know? But in the time of Jesus, they didn't have four or five or six outfits. They just had the clothes on their back. And so one of their anxieties at times was, will this last long enough? Remember God's promise to Moses when they went into the wilderness that their clothes wouldn't wear out? God was taking care of clothing and anxiety at that point. In the same way that He was taking care of food anxiety by giving them manna. And so Jesus is speaking into the people and into the issues of anxiety of their era. And he starts with food anxiety and he says, Look at the birds of the air. Neither do they sow or reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of of your life. Have you ever noticed that anxious people are always like, you know, they, they, they usually are imagining something that may never even be able to happen. 
And they spend a lot of time thinking about it and being anxious about it. And, and so this is a great question. I think that we should probably underline this in our Bible and say, one of the things that when I'm anxious that I need to ask is, will this add an hour to my life? The, the second thing they had was wardrobe anxiety. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like all of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Remember when we were learning about the, the Lord's Prayer the verse before he began, he says, God already knows what your needs are. God is aware of them. One of the great things that people have decided about God who are outside the faith is they have decided that God doesn't care about them. That he doesn't see them. That he doesn't understand what their needs are. Probably we should be praying even ourselves a little different, saying, look, God, I know you're aware that there's no food in the pantry right now. And I know you're aware that I have a family. And we need a miracle. God, I, I, I know that you're aware of the fact that I have an interview. I, I can remember as a young pastor only, only owning one dress shirt. And there was a mark on the back of it, so I always wore a suit coat so no one could see it. And it was kind of like the standing joke for a while until we could afford a little bit more. Is the shirt clean for me to wear on Sunday? But God saw my need. Took care of it in different ways. I needed shoes at one time, and I, I went to visit a man who had not taken good care of himself, and had diabetes, and so was having to have his legs amputated at the knee. Weird thing to go in and pray for. But the second I stepped into the room, old Lester looked at me and he says, Jim, before you pray, I have a question for you. What size shoe do you wear? I said, well, I wear a ten and a half six E. Huh, that's my side. Do you want my shoes? You know, God takes care of us in odd ways that we can never understand. And as our faith grows, so does our ability to understand that he will take care of us. I told you early on about my crisis of faith for our church, wondering how we were going to pay the bills and keep the doors open, and how God took me right there to 1 Kings chapter 17, and He took me to the life of Elijah, and He took me to that widow that only had food for one meal, and Elijah lived with her, and he says, you will always have enough in the jar until the rains come. And, and I can tell you that this church has enough in the jar because of the faithfulness of the people here. But, but there were anxieties during that time. So he said this in verse 31. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If you turn to, to James chapter 1, I think it's right around verses 16 and 17, it says that, that God is the Father that's a good Father who gives great gifts. Now, I, I can tell you that once in a while I've gotten anxious because I don't understand His timing, but God has always taken incredible care. Because see, one of the greatest things that affects our priorities is anxiety. What are you anxious about today? Maybe it's not the same list as it was in the first century. But what are the things that you are anxious about today? What are the things that concern you? Uh, will I get a job after college? Will, will, will we have enough? When, when will God take care of this? Um, what happens if I get on a plane? What, what, what happens if, if I go to the store and don't wear a mask? Will somebody kill me? You, you know, the, all these weird anxieties and things that we have never thought about before. Uh, I've never counted masks before in my life. Have you? Go into a store and, and you see people not wearing masks and you're like, why don't they have a mask on? Don't you? Didn't they see the sign at the door? It said, wear a mask. Is somebody going to say anything to them? Were they the ones that had the plates from out of state? Oh, no. Craziness, right? Things that we've never thought about before in our lives. And the world is crazy right now about these things. If you listen to the daily briefing of our blessed governor, you, things are bad. Even when they're good, they're bad. But we live differently. We have different priorities. See, our, our priorities are always that we're trying to invest eternally. Uh, we're trying to see clearly. And it's hard today. It's hard to see clearly if you watch too much television. It's hard to see clearly if you even read the information to stay up on COVID. Have you noticed the changes like every three days? Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Wear a mask this direction, don't wear it that direction. You know, on and on and on it goes. We have to decide who the master is and we have to expect his provision. You know, I, I liked what Jonathan said when he was leading worship today. Is sometimes I need to remember what God's already done and just ask Him to do it again. Because He has been faithful. Grandparents, you need to tell your grandkids how God has been faithful. Moms and dads, you need to tell your kids how God has been faithful. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the things that God has done to be faithful. But we need to expect that. Because see, there's one other kind of anxiety. And it speaks to that in the last verse where it says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I think that the greatest anxiety today 
is it's hard to connect the dots and know what the future is going to look like. I think it's hard to do that. As Nancy and I prepared the church for the fact that we are reopening next week, I said it out loud. Some of the things that we've done to get ready for opening, we never imagined that we'd ever have to do so that all of you could be in this room together. We literally went into my shop and cut out a stick six feet long to make sure that we had the right measurement everywhere to honor the rules. I never imagined that I'd need a six-foot stick. But those are the days that we live in. And there is a lot of anxiety, and it can be especially about the future. But we have to remember what he said in the verse before that. He said this, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto us. You see, anxiety is usually about some form of provision And yet we should expect that God will always figure out how to provide for us. Because that's the kind of God He is. Now, for some of you out there, the see clearly thing is a new idea for you because you do not have a personal relationship with God. Okay? And so the key to seeing clearly is to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. The wisdom of God then is offered to it. doesn't make life any easier sometimes, but it certainly makes life a little calmer all the time. But you need to have a relationship with God because you can't see clearly. The thing that's standing between you and God is your own rebellion against God in the smallest of things. You have got to remember that you make decisions every day that do not please God. In fact, you, were, you didn't even need to be trained in that as a child. When you were a child, you knew exactly how to rebel against the things God was saying. You knew that. And you continue to do that. Even though you know what's right, you sometimes decide not to do it. That law that you're breaking isn't just a law in this country, but that law that you're breaking is the law that God wrote in your heart. And there's something that's causing you to be spiritually blind, and it's those decisions. And you need to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior so that you have a personal relationship with Him and that He can change your heart from darkness into light. It's as simple as praying a prayer that says, Dear God, please forgive me, I'm a sinner. Dear God, please forgive me. I do wrong things. Dear God, please forgive me and let Jesus be my Savior because He took the punishment for the things that I do wrong so that I can have a relationship with You. You pray that simple prayer. That's the beginning of you having a relationship with God. And little by little, His Spirit comes into you and all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about these changing priorities. The Spirit helps you make those changes in your life. In fact, if there's some kind of reset that you need as a believer today, it's not because I'm a brilliant speaker. It's because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and saying, hey, there's an issue that you need to deal with in your priorities. 
you are not investing in eternity right now. You, uh, you are not seeing clearly because of the sin that you're allowing to cloud you. God is not your master. Something else is your master right now. And you have stopped expecting provision and are living a life of worry and anxiety because you're not sure how it's all going to work out. See, God wants to be our priority. God wants us as His children to look up at Him and go like this and really mean it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for this chance that we've had to be together. And I thank You for the fact that You truly are a God that wants to meet us in the emotive thing called life. You brought Your Son to this earth and His message completely, radically changed everything. And many of us in this room and maybe even on our audience online have been radically changed by asking Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior. And we just think differently and we see differently. God, right now I pray for those people that maybe have never made that decision. And I don't know how long they've lived life or what they think, but they don't understand how important it is to have that relationship with You. And I pray that right now they would pray the prayer. That they'd say the simple words that they are a sinner. That they need a Savior. And they ask You to be their Savior. And they thank You for dying on the cross for them. In fact, we all thank You for that, God. That You died on the cross for us so that we could live better and differently because we were wired to be kingdom people, not earthly people. So God, help us to live that life. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Now, if you made any decision, maybe a decision to follow Jesus Christ, or you have questions or anything, in the description of the live stream, there's a place that says, get to know you. Click on that. Send me a message. Let me get to know that. There's a bunch of helpful information there. And so I encourage you to fill out that information. Um, I, I have a couple just announcements for the body today. Probably the, the, 